Uh, my name is Ricky. I'm one of the pastors here. Great to be with you guys um, here. Man, I haven't been to uh, Central in a, in a while just because of the, the holidays and everything. So it's great to be back with you guys here. Um, it was in the middle of the night, and uh, I, I wake up, and I feel this little hand on my back, and I just hear this little voice, Daddy, Daddy. It's my little girl, Everly. Um, she's kind of a daddy's girl, and she has a special place in my heart, and I, I just hear it again, Daddy. Now, it's in the middle of the night. She, I just got woke up. I have no idea what she wants, um, but uh, I, I don't speak. I don't move because I do have a plan that if I just ignore her, that eventually she will figure things out that, re- that daddy's not waking up and she will walk around to the other side and go bug her mom. And so it works. And I continue to do that. She walks around. Mommy. Yeah. <laughs> Mommy. Christy wakes up kind of immediately and, and, and goes and helps her because I'm just thinking, hey, if I ignore her long enough, someone else will do it and someone else will help her. It's not because I don't Love my daughter Everly, I really do, uh, but I'm selfish, and I just want to stay asleep and not mess with it. Now, before you judge me too much, there's plenty of times where Christy, she will, will wake up, and then she'll be like, go ask your dad, and then, and then I'm like, oh, I'm stuck, I got to do it, um, right, but we have this mentality many times of, hey, well, if I don't do it, it's okay, because someone else will do it. Maybe you've been at a group project at school or at work or something like that, and there's always that one person, maybe you are that person, that is like doing nothing. They're contributing nothing, and then the rest, you know, the other people in the group, they have to do all the work, and that's really no fun for anybody, because then at the end of the project, or whatever, you're like, man, they, they, maybe they get the same credit, or the same grade that the rest of us got, but yet they did nothing, and so that can be really frustrating, but if everybody's contributing, group projects can be really fun. I was in seminary once, and we had this group project, and there's a few of us in the group, and we all kind of brought something different uh, to the table for the project. It went super fast. Uh, we turned something out really great. And, I mean, so it was, it was good. Not only the process was really fun, but also the, the end product was really great, uh, and we all got a great grade. Um, I think, though, in, in church, we can have kind of a similar mentality uh, in many ways. We can have this thought of like, well, hey, okay, I could maybe do this, or I could help in this way, but it's okay. If I don't do it, someone else will do it, or someone else is already doing it, so it's, it's no big deal. Um, or we think, well, hey, I have these life circumstances, I'm really busy, I have this work, I have these tests, um, I don't know if I can really do it, but it's, it's okay, someone else will do it. Um, and, and we might say that it's life circumstances, and sometimes it is, but many times I would say that we, we all kind of get sucked into this selfishness. Just like with me and Everly, it's not so much that, oh man, I'm just so busy right now that I can't do it. It's really just that I don't want to. It's a big inconvenience. And, and many times we have that when it, we uh, approach church or various things, we just don't feel like doing it. And today we're starting this series called Everyone, and we're going to just start to cover uh, these different mindsets, different commitments, lifestyles that we as followers of Christ, and really us as a church at City Light, 
that we're expected to do, that this is the life that, that Jesus has called us to do. And, and it's not like we live it out perfectly or anything like that, but still it's, it's what's expected of us. Not just some of us, but really all of us. And, and very similar to a group project, it could be kind of frustrating if only some are involved and are participating But at the same time, it can be this really amazing, wonderful thing when everyone is involved. And and that's really when the church is the most beautiful thing that it can be. It's not when just some, but when everyone is living out this new life that that we have in Christ. And so we're going to be looking at that today. I invite you to open up to Matthew 20. Matthew 20. Matthew is the first gospel. If you've gone to Mark, you've gone too far. If you're probably on in any book that ends in an I, keep going. So Matthew 20, we'll start there in verse 20 uh, as well. Um, and, and what's going on here is that Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem from his ministry in Galilee. He's been telling his disciples many times, hey, this is what's going to go on. We're going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be handed over to die, to be killed, to be crucified. But the disciples, they are just not really getting it. The only reason they're heading to Jerusalem, to the capital, is to be made king. The people have already tried to make Jesus king once before. Now it's really time for Jesus to be made king. Rome, the corrupt leaders, they're out. Jesus, us with Jesus, we're in. This is what's going going on in the disciples' minds. So we'll start there in verse 20. So then the mother of the sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, They came up to Jesus with their sons, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said, what do you want? She said to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. Jesus answered, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? They said to him, we are able. He said to them, you will drink that cup or drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and my left is not mine to grant, but is for those uh, for whom... It has been prepared by my father. And when the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. So first point, first observation is we choose self over serving. I don't know if you're like, hey, that doesn't match the bulletin. I know, just, you know, it's good. We choose self over serving. And so James and John, they come together with Jesus with their mom. Now, this is a little weird. Hey, Jesus, here we are with mommy. We're older guys with our mom. I mean, this is like, um, you know, you're the, the, the high school quarterback's mom, that, that kid in high school, and his mom goes to the coaching and says, hey, you know who should really be starting quarterback? My boy. I mean, if that was my mom, I'd be like, even if I thought I should be starting quarterback, I'd be like, no, mom, shut up. You know, that's weird. Um, I'm a man. Um, but so, so this is like when they say, hey, can we sit at your right and your left in your kingdom? This is not some spiritual question or, or request of where they're like, hey, we just want to be closer to you, Jesus. That's not what they're saying at all. This is a power play. This is them saying, hey, Jesus, you're about to be made king. You're going to be the top dog. And we want to be, you know, hey, you're going to be sitting on this throne And we want to be, hey, there's only two seats right next to you. We want to sit there. We want to sit right next to you and kind of be a a notch above the rest of the disciples. You know, we all know we're your posse, we're your peeps, 
but hey, could we kind of be a little bit better, a little bit more than the other disciples? Um, so here's just kind of a grid. In the ancient world, they, you know, status, power was a very big thing. And if you're at the top, that you're kind of like the king, right? You have the most power, you have the most status, the most people are serving you. Then kind of the next one would be the officials, other people that are ruling for the king and the wealthy. Then your third one would be just kind of your average person. Uh, And this isn't exact, but you get an idea. Fourth would be servants and slaves. In the ancient world, this would have also included kids, women. That would have been that kind of tier for them for status. And then your last one, your bottom one would be criminals and sinners. And so they're saying, hey, Jesus... We know you're about to be made king. That's why we're going to Jerusalem. And we know that we're going to be on the second tier. You know, we're your, your disciples, your, you know, those guys. But hey, can we kind of be like, can James and John, can they be like 1A and 1B? Can we just be a little bit above the other um, uh, disciples? And Jesus says, okay. Well, are you able to drink the cup that I'm going to drink? Talking about his death, his crucifixion. The disciples, you know, they, they don't know what Jesus is really referring to that. So they're like, oh yeah, yeah, we, we're able to do that. Whatever you say. Now, all they're thinking again is power. Jesus says, well, you actually are going to drink that. Again, he's saying, hey, later on in your life, you are going to be persecuted for following me. James is actually the first disciple that gives his life for following Jesus. And so uh, then in verse 24, it says that the, the disciples, see the rest, the other 10 disciples, they're hearing this conversation and it says that they're indignant. They're mad. Now they're not thinking, hey, James, John, and your mom, hey, you guys are just being really, really selfish. You shouldn't be selfish. They're not thinking that. They're probably just thinking, man, what if Jesus says yes? Man, I wish... I wish I, maybe we should have asked first. Maybe then Jesus would have given us that spot. You know, or, or, or gosh, I don't, you know, sometimes I don't always really like John. I mean, yeah, later on, everybody's going to read his book and think his book is better. But what about me? You know, I mean, so, so they're, they're not wanting that for them. That They're, again, thinking of themselves. So they're, they're mad at what's going on of, of this kind of power play that's been going on. And then in verse 25, Jesus you know, says, hey, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over everyone else. You, basically, he's saying, you know how the world works. If you want power, you take it. And when you get power, you use it. You use it on other people so that they, the people below you, they serve you. You lord it over them. Because this world is about you. Get what you want more for you, more status, more prestige, more approval, so that you can gain. That's, how, that's what the world teaches us. And really, that's what the world teaches us today. It's really very, very similar. Everything is about you. Get more for you. Look out for number one. Get more likes, more approval. Work your way up. Get more people beneath you that you're supervising. Be about your convenience your security, your comfort, and your wants. When that Diet Coke commercial that's going out, hey, just do you, right? If you, I drink Diet Coke because it makes me feel good, because I want to. Hey, if you want to run a marathon, you do it. 
right? And that's kind of the thing is like, hey, do things totally for you. That should be the focus of your life is yourself. We learned this very well from Tom and Donna off of Parks and Rec, right? Treat yourself. <laughs> Clothes, treat yourself. Fragrances, treat yourself. Mimosas, treat yourself. Fine leather goods, treat yourself. The happiest day of the year, right? We all love it. And I'm not saying it's bad to treat yourself or any of those things, but again, that's what we're, we're, we're saying. We're, we're told Choose yourself over everyone else. Choose yourself over serving others. This is the kind of world that Satan loves. A world that is mainly just looking out for you and very little for everyone else. Get more people under you so that they work for you, so that they serve you, and they sacrifice so that you may gain. That's the kind of world that doesn't look like Jesus. But, but we do this, right? It's not just that the world teaches us this. We do this. Think of love movies, or I hear it a lot in premarital counseling. I'll, I'll ask the couple, you know, that's about to be married, um, hey, why, why do you guys love each other? Why do you want to be married? And you usually hear answers kind of like this. I just love the way that they make me feel when I'm around them. Hey, that's good. I, the, you know what? I love that they make me a better person. Hey, that's really good. And you know what? Christy, my wife, she, she sharpens me. She, God uses her to help, help make me better. But in all of that, what kind of language is that? It's self-serving language. I love you because you do this for me. I want to marry you because you do this for me. I haven't heard anybody say, man, well, the reason that I love them and want to marry them is because I want to be dedicated to serving them for the rest of my life. Just haven't heard it. Hey, I want to commit myself so that they can prosper, flourish, and know Jesus. That's what I want to give my life to. Just haven't heard it. Again, it's what do you do for me? This mindset of what am I going to receive out of this. Think of it in other areas of your life. Think of it when it comes to church, your city group, or even reading God's word. What's kind of this question that we either ask or answer very frequently, maybe the most frequently question, what did I get out of it? Many of you will leave today. What'd you think of the message? I don't know. I don't know. I didn't really get very much out of it. How was city group? Oh man, it's been good. I've been getting a lot out of it. How's your time in reading the scriptures with Jesus? Man, I got out of it this. Right? Again, it's very you. How does this serve me? Not when it comes to your city group. We're, we're typically not asking this kind of question. Man, how can I serve those in my group? Or when it comes to a sermon, we're usually not asking, man, I hope that I, I want to know if God is pleased with how I'm going to respond to his word today. Any of those kinds of things. And, but Jesus, in this, so, so we see that we choose self over serving. We choose ourselves over others. But Jesus, he points us to something else. Verse 26. So he says, hey, you know how the world works. That's what they do. Verse 26. 
but it shall not be among you. It's going to be different with you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So second point is that Jesus chose serving over self. Jesus chooses serving over self. Again, he's saying, hey, that's the world works this way. It's all about them. It's all about you. It's all about the individual. Think of yourself. But then Jesus says, not so with you. Not so with my followers. That's not how my kingdom operates. It's not about your comfort, your security, your approval. That's what greatness seems to be in the world. But my kingdom, my followers, that's not what greatness looks like. Greatness is being a servant. It's giving your life away, denying yourself. And I mean, really, Jesus has been teaching this the whole way. As they've been going to Jerusalem, back in in Matthew 16, he says, hey, if you want to be my disciple, if you want to follow me, deny yourself. If you want to save your life, then you need to lose it for me and for my sake. Matthew 18, the disciples come up to Jesus. Who's the greatest in the kingdom? Jesus, he calls a little child to himself and says, you want to be great? Be like this kid. He's not talking about childlike faith in there. It doesn't mention childlike faith anywhere in that passage. That's something that we've taken and we take our idea of kids and we impose on the text. Jesus answers the question. He says, you want to be great? Be humble like one of these kids. Low status. Kids back then were considered property. Slaves. They didn't rule everything like they do today. So he's saying, hey, you want to be great? Be humble, low status. Don't seek greatness like you're trying to seek it. Matthew 19, he says, hey, you want to be first? Be last. And again, we come here in Matthew 20. He says, don't be like the world. Don't be like everyone else. That's not what, what my kingdom looks like. Kingdom greatness is serving. Verse 28, and Jesus says, hey, I'm so different than that too. Gives himself an example. I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many, to give my life as a payment for many. I mean, this is amazing. Jesus came to give his life as a sacrifice for others, for you and me. He was coming to people that would kill him. People that are broken, people that are sinful, people that are messy. But he says, hey, I'm going to die on your behalf. I'm going to pay the price for sin for something that is totally your fault and you are guilty of it. And you deserve that punishment, but I'm going to die in your place. I mean, this is amazing. This is literally the most amazing news for any of us. The God of the universe said, I'm going to humble myself. I'm going to be a servant. 
I'm going to die for you. I mean, if you've, if you've never trusted in Christ, if, if you don't really know Jesus, I just want to encourage you, look at what God has done for you, not what you've done for God. You aren't good. You are broken. You are sinful. You are guilty, just like the rest of us. And you can't get your way to God. You can't be forgiven of your sin by anything that you've done, by going to church enough, by thinking that you're a good enough person, any of those things. You can be forgiven of your sin, know Christ because of what he has done for you. He's paid the price for you. He's made a way. And so I just encourage you, man, think about that. Believe, trust, turn to him. There's there's nothing better for you to look at in this world other than Jesus, the one that came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, for you. He is the ultimate servant. This is what Philippians 4, or excuse me, yes, 2, 4 through 8 says. It says, let each of you look out, look, or look not only to your own interests, right, but also the interests of others. Don't be just self-serving. Serve others. Have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus, and it gives us an example of Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Took the form of a servant. He became a man, became human, and he died on a cross. It wasn't about his comfort. It wasn't about his security. It wasn't about his approval. He offered his life as a sacrifice. That's not really how normal kings act. Kings act hey, you serve me, you do this for me. But Jesus is utterly different. The world says, you have others sacrifice and serve you so that you may gain. But Jesus says, sacrifice and serve so that others may gain. The world says, and and honestly many times, us says, look out for yourself. And Jesus says, no, look out for others. The world says, you do things so that you can receive. But Jesus says, I've done for you so that you might receive. Because of what Jesus has done, he saved us, he's forgiven us, he's given this new new life, and he changes us. He says, hey, this is what new life in me looks like. This is what discipleship, my kingdom, looks like, humbling yourself and serving others. I love this, Matthew 20, 28, what he, what he just says here, because he's saying, hey, the motivation of your life is the, my mission. What discipleship, you following me, being, being a, a follower of Jesus, a believer, a Christian, your life looks like mine, looks like my mission, and that I came to serve others, to give my life away for others. And so this is the life that Jesus calls us to commands us into to say, hey, live like me, look like me. So what does that really look like for us? Turn to Romans 12, to the right past Luke, John, Acts, then you get to Romans. And in verse, verses 1 and 2, it says, hey, because of what Jesus has done, because of his mercies for us, Mercy of God that he came to serve, he loved us, he died for us. Because of that, offer yourselves as sacrifices to God. 
And it says, hey, you, your, your mind has been renewed. Don't be, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed, be different, be changed by the renewing of your mind. Then in verse 3, it says, for the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned him. Again, saying, hey, don't be prideful. Don't be arrogant. For Verse 4, for as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, the church, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. We be, he's saying, hey, we belong to each other. We're not just some organization, but we're a family. We're not just a bunch of individuals doing our own thing, sitting in our own seats. We're one body. We belong to each other. And then in verse 6, having gifts that differ uh, according to the grace given to us. Let us use them, so not just have them, but use them. And he says, if prophecy, use that in proportion to, to our faith. If serving, if service, in, in our, use, use uh, that in proportion to our faith in serving. The one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So third point, third observation is everyone's called to serve. Everyone's called to serve. Use these gifts that I've given to you. And so, because of God's mercy, we offer our bodies, this is verse 1, as these living sacrifices to God. And then here, it's saying, and you serve my church, you serve my body, my bride. Offering yourself as a living sacrifice to God, serving God, you can't really separate from serving His church. Right? I mean, here it makes it very clear do this, do that. These are connected. You can't separate serving God from serving his church. And then we, 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 God has given us these gifts to do this very thing. And again in verse 2 where it says, hey, no, don't be conformed to the ways of this world. Do not lo- no longer choose yourself over serving. We've been changed by God. We're not about our own comfort or any of these things. And then he gives us these gifts. Now, we're not, we don't just have time to go through, hey, what does every gift look like or mean? That's just not the point. But the point is that God has given every single one of us, if you trust it in Christ, he's given you at least one spiritual gift. He's given you strengths. He's given you skills. He's given you uh, availability. He's given you passions, all of these things. And the point of those things that he's given to you isn't you. It isn't your gift. The point of that is that you're using that in service to God and his church. That's the point of it. And I, and I think sometimes it's amazing. I mean, you get, there's so many people that I know that just have wonderful gifts, strengths, passions, all of these things uh, that, that people are using for in amazing ways, uh, for, for God, for his kingdom. Uh, but I think that there are sometimes we have these things in us that can hinder us uh, from serving. And, and so one of those things... Even when we look at this list of gifts, is we start to compare gifts. Maybe we compare gifts, we compare talents, those things. And then this could lead to some of us thinking, hey, these gifts are more important than these. I just want to tell you, 
the, the most important gift in the church isn't preaching. It's not only important if you have a microphone or can lead worship. All the gifts are important. And God gave them to you. I mean, this is what, it's, what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 14 through 18. He says, For the body does not consist of one member, but many. If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, because I'm not that way, I don't belong to the body. Even if it did say that, that wouldn't make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, Because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body. That would not make it any less part of the body either. If the whole body were an eye, if everybody was the same, if the whole body was an eye, where, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell? But, but as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as he chose. God gave you that gift. God gave that other person that other gift. Every gift is important. So don't, don't ever feel like maybe your gift matters less. Or don't ever think that your gift matters way more. God gave them to you. And it's this beautiful thing, not when we all have the same gifts, but it's this beautiful, wonderful thing when we, we're all using the different gifts, strengths, talents that God has given us. It's this wonderful, amazing thing. And if, if you're like, hey, I have trust in Christ and I don't know my gift, that's fine. Um, you know, sometimes there's, you know, those spiritual gift assessments and those are fine. I think actually maybe the best way for you to know your gift is to ask the people around you. Use the body. Like nobody later on is going to be like, hey, Rick, you want to lead worship? This is not going to happen. They're very aware that that's not my gift. And I'm also aware of it, right? But I've been affirmed in other ways. So, so ask people around you. Second thing that I think that can hinder us in serving is this mentality again that someone else will do it. If, if that's kind of been your mentality, I'm not saying you're actively, consciously just saying, hey, I'm not going to serve because someone else will do it. But if you're honest with yourself, you're like, hmm, I guess that is kind of down there, that's the mentality of like, eh, it's okay, someone else has got it. I just encourage you to repent to that. That, that kind of thinking doesn't come from Christ. You know, we, we don't call the Sunday morning thing, we don't call them services. Because it isn't about you coming here to be served. Right? We, we call them gatherings. Because that's what families do. Families, people with different gifts, strengths, talents, that all come to serve each other, to belong to one another, that's, that's a gathering. And so if you have that mentality, just, again, I encourage you, repent of that. Don't be conformed to the ways of this world. Right? But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Or, or maybe you haven't really served, not just because, hey, someone else is going to do it, but maybe you're like, well, someone else is doing it. And you just don't see a need because someone else is already doing it. There's always a need. Maybe they're always doing it because no one else has offered to help do it. Also, that, that I mean, you, typically in churches, 20% of the people do all the work. That's not healthy. That's not what, I mean, can you imagine, if you, if you go to UNL, if 20% of the students did 100% of the work, would that be awesome? Well, maybe if you're the 80%, right? You'd be like, that would be cool. Right, but, but as far as the family goes, people that love each other and belong to each other, that's not cool. That's not, that's not healthy. So just, just get involved in there. Even if somebody, if, or if you're like, oh man, they're, they're, they're so much better at it than me. That's fine. Don't worry about that. We all grow in, in, in those gifts. 
Another thing is we sometimes focus too much on our, our gifts or our interests. Don't be thinking just, hey, well, I have to find a place that I just totally want to serve in or that I could totally use my gifts or my talents. There are things at home that I do. I take out the trash. It's not because I really am that interested in garbage disposal. (laughs) Or I'm just like, I'm so good at opening a lid and going like that. (laughs) Right? It's just because, that's hey, I can do it, and I got to do it. And so just... You know, if you can stand at a door and shake somebody's hand or high-five them, smile, you could serve. Hey, if you can learn to make coffee, you can serve. If you can stand at the, the, the stairs there and hand out bulletins, you can serve. Just get involved. Start somewhere. Here's a few other ways to just start serving. In your city group, and if you're not in a city group, get involved in one. But if you're in your city group, come prepared. Have, having read the passage, looked over it, and studied it ahead of time. Not only do you get to spend time with Jesus and hear from his word, but then you come with something to contribute to everyone else, serving them. Even if you're like, well, I don't know, I read it and I don't understand it. Great, write all those questions down of how you don't understand it. That helps the group engage with the text. And your group be vulnerable. Not only do you get to confess sin and have somebody come alongside of you, but you're encouraging other people to to be vulnerable as well. Hey, I'm not the only one doing it. Someone else is sharing their junk as well. Pray for those in your city group. Send some encouraging texts in the church. Ways for you to conserve. Sign up for a serving team. Sign up for kids ministry, whatever it is. Maybe you don't have kids that are older. Maybe Maybe other people have some kids. Offer to watch their kids. I know if you're thinking, that sounds terrible. It probably will be. But, but when you have, have kids one day, I guarantee you wish somebody would do it for you, right? So it's a great way to love them. At your workplace, your neighborhood, just, again, look for ways to serve, to find ways to help other people. Because if only some of us serve, if we continue to live the way of the world, choosing ourselves over serving, if only some of us serve in your city group, Many people won't be connected. Many people won't feel encouraged. People won't be sharing. People won't be hearing as much from God's word. If only some serve in the church, then a lot of burden is laid on the few. Less people will feel welcome. Less people will feel engaged. We don't get to see all the various gifts and strengths on display. If only some people are serving at your workplace or your neighborhood then mostly everybody's just looking out for themselves and few will see the kind of life that Jesus lived. But if everyone, if everyone's serving in your city group, then man, talk about a family that love each other, that's praying for each other. People, every, everyone will be encouraged, sharing the different things of God. Everyone is being connected, cared for, loved. Everyone is sharing about their struggle, their pain, but they're also receiving this acceptance and healing, having someone come alongside of them. If everyone serves in the church, then every single person that walks through those doors is going to feel love and connected and like somebody actually cares that they're here. If everyone serves, then every kid, every student that comes on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night is going to be engaged because somebody's being intentional with them. 
Every person that comes here would be realizing that, that it's not about themselves, but that they belong to something far bigger than themselves, and that's the kingdom of God. And we get to see this amazing thing where these different people are actually using their strengths, their gifts, their passions for others. If everyone serves at your school, at your workplace, in your neighborhood, if you do that, then people are actually seeing something different than what the world has to offer. And that's a life that looks like Jesus. And we do it all because of what Christ has done for us. He served us and saved us, made us new. I want you to think about this, going back to the different kind of levels uh, of power. So Jesus is a king. He is the king. But if you think of the most world-changing thing that has ever happened is when Jesus died, paid the price for sin, and rose again. The place where Jesus did that from was right at the bottom. He's a convicted, he's a servant and a convicted criminal. And right there at the very bottom, Jesus changed the world, changed my life, hopefully has changed yours as well. The way that God is going to use us to change your home, to change your workplace, to change this church, to change this city is when we come not to be served, but to serve. Deny ourselves for what God wants to do in and through us for this world. And today we get to come and we get to celebrate and remember that that very thing, that Christ came and he died and he paid the price for sin. And we take this bread and we dip it in this juice and we're just reminded of his body that was broken for us and his blood that was shed for us. And we're also reminded of this new life that we have in Christ, this new life that we get to live for Christ and for others around us. And so if you trust in Christ, I just invite you in a moment to come and to share and just to take communion together as a family. Let's pray.